So uh, what is the role of the church? This was one of my, is one of my favorite illustration videos that talk about what I uh, think is so important for, for our church. It's also the video that our current blended group on Wednesday night, they're, they're going through a um, curriculum. Uh, and this video was their last video that they watched um, on Wednesday. And so they're, they're talking about what the role of the church is. And as soon as they figure it out, they're going to tell us, right? You're going to let us know. <laughs> but uh, it's a question uh, um, that I've been dealing with for my whole, whole life, it feels like, since college, since uh, um, church, what it was for me then, it's kind of evolved since then. Um, the answer has changed. The answer is still evolving today for me. Who are we? What are we? Why do we do the things we do? Why do we have Sunday mornings and kids programs? And why do we uh, go out in the street and, and, and have uh, a trick-or-treat event? Why do we go to Guatemala? Um, as leaders of this church, we are constantly, constantly evaluating what we do, seeing if things match up to what we say we're about. Um, I, I love what Jeff, how he put it with the, the dreamers, putting legs to dreams. It's like putting the body to Christ. And, and that's what that video was there. Um, right after service today, we're inviting everyone that's a part of this place, that calls this place their home, um, to the basement for lunch and, and, and a conversation about who we are in the future and what things are looking like. Um, we'll talk about membership there. And it's been a long time since we've met as members to talk or as a family to talk. And we're not the same church last time we got together. We're not the same group of people that were here when I first started here. Uh, some of you are still here, but you've changed or, or I've changed. I'm not the same person that I was uh, 11 years ago. I've been here 11 years. We had a five-year plan. <laughs> so we're here. But today's passage and last week's passage, this the fall kickoff series that we just went through has been really good for me. It's been giving me this opportunity to talk about something I love, and that's this church. Um, this community of faith that I belong to. See, I'm, I'm passionate about this church. Uh, it's changing. It's not the uh, church in general is not the church that I grew up in. It's not what I thought it would be like coming out of college. Um, and over time, I've become more and more in love with the church. I love to be in this community with, with you people. Most of you people. In, in, uh, but, but Wednesday nights, uh, one, one of the things Jody and I try to find ourselves uh, around a group of people at, at a restaurant or at our house, around a table or with people that we love, that we can talk about life and talk about faith and build relationships around that table. And when you read the Gospels, you see places um, that uh, moments where Jesus is also at a table, where lives are changed through relationships with one another. Many of you are, have been involved or involved in a small group and that meet around a table. You talk about life, you study scripture together, you have a meal together. And to me, that is what's defining the church. This is what I think Jesus was talking about when he said, when two or three are gathered in my name, I am there. And so we're, we're intentional about creating atmospheres here where we can build relationships if you were here during the fall kickoff series, you may have heard me talk about uh, our mission as a church. It's kind of like this threefold mission where we're to reach up, to reach out, and to reach in. Those are maybe familiar words to many of you. These are the reasons that we gather. We understand that the commandment from Jesus that he gave was to, to love God, and so we reach up. To love others, and so we reach out, and to love ourselves, and we reach in. And woven within that mission is this strategy that this, how do we fulfill that mission? How, what does that even look like for us? 
And so we, we have this kind of this metaphor, these three environments where we say, hey, these are, this is the strategy of how we'll fulfill that mission. And the first, we call it like the foyer, right? The front porch, right? It's where we all kind of start this relationship. I like to invite people over to my house, um, but when, as soon as we see someone drive up, it's pretty normal for us to, to kind of step outside uh, onto the porch and greet them as they're, as they're driving up, mainly because our smallest one has listening issues, and she runs out there, and we don't want her to get hit by the car, but we like to, to greet people out there on the porch. Help them carry something in. Maybe uh, I have the grill going, and there's a cooler with some cold drinks, and there we offer them a drink, and we kind of start a conversation out there. And so some of our porch events as a church is, is like the, the Halloween, the trick-or-treat event we're doing um, next Tuesday. Sand and sauce, we just did that. Uh, the Easter and Christmas services that we do here. Uh, maybe occasional uh, Sunday morning worship gathering. Those, those are like the porch events that we have where people come. And, 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 and some of us, we really never make it past the front porch, right? Which, which is kind of awkward if you went to somebody's house. You know, you could imagine that going there and they've invited you further into the house and you kind of just stand on the porch and say, I'm just going to, I'm just going to hang out here. You know, it'd be kind of, kind of weird. But at some point we want everyone, we want to invite everyone to, to, to come inside. And when you go into someone's house, well then, you know, when you're welcomed in, you, you begin to, you know, relax and you, you take off your coat your shoes, right? Uh, you're invited into maybe the living room, and that's what we call it. So we go from the foyer, and we the next strategy piece is the, the living room. Um, churches, some might call it a foyer, you know, where you have a seat, maybe a, a cup of coffee or, or a drink there, and you begin to talk. You, introductions are made. You begin to connect at a, at a deeper level. Those are like our Sunday morning gatherings, our, our tailgate party that we have here, um, serving at some of our events, uh, going on a missions trip. Uh, people begin to know your name. You begin to know other names. And, and then the greet time becomes less awkward, right? You know? And, and then after that, you move further into the house. And we call it the, the kitchen, right? Or the heart of the house. And I like to, uh, I'd rather call it the, the table. This is uh, something about, there's just something about being around a table with other people. Sharing a meal with others. You start to become known. You're, you're honest with who you are in front of others. Uh, you open up and you begin to share your story. So that might look like small groups for some of you or, or being on a, a scheduled serving, you know, where you, where you serve once a month in one of our areas of our church. Maybe you're a member at this point. But the goal is to get people to the table, to off the front porch, through the foyer and, 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 and around the table to build deep connection and relationship, to be fully known. And we are committed to creating space around the table to ha- for that to happen. The best gift I've ever got was our ginormous kitchen table. We have had many meals around that table with friends, some great food, but even greater people have sat there with us. There's just something about a meal together with friends where relationships are formed at a, at a much deeper level. So real quick, I want you to think about Something. I want you to think about a meal that you had that you remember. You went out to maybe a, a fancy restaurant. You were, at a, you were at a wedding. Maybe it was a church barbecue, you know. But something where you went and you had a, a, an amazing time. Maybe it wasn't the meal. Maybe it was the people. Or maybe it was the meal and not the people. But this time you can think of. Uh, some of the things that came to my mind. I, I remember back on our, our honeymoon, we were up in Traverse City. And we went to eat at this steak restaurant. And we, don't, we can't really afford steak. But that, we, were, we were living on credit. And so we, you know, like most newlyweds. So we, we uh, had this amazing time. And so I remember that. But then I was thinking about, well, what were some times where maybe the food wasn't, but it was the people there. 
And last year, our Guatemala team decided to get together. Um, everyone on the team and, and, and their spouses we got together. And we had a sushi night. And we all made sushi. And so what we said is everyone bring a meat to add to the sushi. And, and we'll all make different rolls. Somebody brought spam to sushi night. And you think, it, well, that sounds horrible. You're right. It is horrible. And it was, and I remember it because I was, you know, I don't know if you, you know, the, the starving baker. I don't look like I'm starving, but the starving baker principle is like when the baker's always cooking and making, and never gets a chance to eat. It's kind of like mom at Thanksgiving, you know, always taking care of things before the kids eat. Well, at the end of the night, there was uh, one roll left and we had deep fried a few rolls. And I was like, man, I'm taking that home. That's for me. I, I, you know, I didn't get to eat a lot. So I'm going to take this home. And I got home and I, and I cut into that thing and I put a piece in my mouth. And it was the spam roll. And it was so horrible, Terry. Why did you bring spam to sushi night? So uh, Matt, Matt served liver mush to the teenagers a couple of weeks ago. Anybody ever have liver mush? That is like a loaf of cat food. It is so gross. I was at a, I was at a softball game in, uh, in, in, in Asheville. My daughter was playing on a team. And I was trying to, you know... Be nice to the locals. And they were like, hey, you need to try this liver mush. And I did not want to do it, but I did. And I threw, I mean, I spit it out. It was horrible. My hands smelled for the rest of the day. It was the worst thing ever. Um, I guess you're supposed to fry it. I don't know if that's going to make anything better than fried cat food, but it's horrible. So, all right. So take a minute. I want you to remember this time. Now you're thinking about a time that you, you remember the meal. You remember the people. Take a time. Turn to someone around you. Share that story. And then we'll come back together. All right, uh, hopefully most of you had a chance to share. Uh, the reason I think the, and some of you have heard the story from me before, the reason the, the spam like stood out like so much to me is when we were uh, in college, we were uh, counselors at a camp and, you know, we were in charge of uh, like these teams and doing like these competitions all week long. And there was one point um, at the uh, – the guys that were inventing these games, some of that 
love to, t- to torture us. And they came up with this thing called the Spam Relay. Um, and so they, each team got a can of Spam. Um, and w- then there was this giant obstacle, obstacle course of everything you can imagine going through, getting wet, getting dirty, getting things put on you. It, just, it, was, it was an event. It was hot out, probably 100 degrees in the summer there. And what everyone in the team had to take a scoop of that raw spam and put it in their mouth and then go through the obstacle course. And at the end, everyone would then you would spit it out into a scale and weigh it. And whatever team weighed the most, kept the most spam, won. And so you couldn't eat or swallow it or anything like that. You ate, but you couldn't like spin it out because you wanted it to weigh the most. And so you could imagine on a 100 degree day running through this obstacle course with a mouthful of spam. It was so gross. It was like sushi spam. It was worse. So, sir, I'm sure you guys love it. Um, So, uh, my guess is when you share these stories, what came back to your memories of these stories, um, my guess is that you probably remember the people you were with even more than you remember what you ate. And when I look at stories, and we look at stories throughout the gospel where Jesus had meals with people, rarely is there any mention, if at all, of what they were eating. It was always about who was at the table. And if we're going to be the church that wants to imitate the life of Jesus, like the video, like Jeff shared at the giving moment, our church needs to look like the table that Jesus was sitting at, right? And filled with the type of people Jesus was eating with. When you make it into the kitchen of someone's house, when you make it to the table, you're no longer a stranger. You're known. You share meals with people that you are in relationship with. And it's very important when we look at the dinner guest of today's message, because I want you to see if we're inviting the same people that Jesus invited to the table, that invited to follow him, invited to join in relationship with him. So here's a story. It's found in Matthew 22. Um, this is where we left off yes, uh, last uh, Sunday. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. This is also uh, found, you can find the same story in Luke, and we, we, we talked about this in, when we went through Luke at one point. But this is verse 1 of chapter 22. Jesus responded by telling more stories. And so Jesus is responding to what just happened in chapter 22, where he was sharing stories about First is last and things like that. And um, he comes in, it's, it's Palm Sunday. Everyone's shouting, Hosanna, save us. And then he, when he talks about what it really looks like to follow me, they go from cheering to, to they want to kill him uh, in the temple, right? So he's responding by telling more stories. He says, God's kingdom is like a king who threw a wedding banquet for his son. He sent out servants to call in all the invited guests and they wouldn't come. So he sent out another round of servants instructing them to tell the guests, look, Everything is on the table. The prime rib is ready for carving. Come to the feast. They only shrugged their shoulders and and went off. One to weed his garden, another to work in his shop. The rest, with nothing better to do, beat up on the messengers and then killed them. The king was outraged and he sent his soldiers to destroy those thugs and level their city. This might be in reference to what happens later on. And in, 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 if you know, in uh, church history in AD 70, the city was destroyed. Uh, and then he told the servants, we have a wedding banquet all prepared, but no guest. The ones I invited weren't up to it. 
So go out into the busiest intersections in town and invite anyone you find to the banquet. The servants went out on the streets and round up everything and everyone that they laid eyes on, good and bad, regardless. And so the banquet was on every place filled. Two things real quick, because we're preparing a banquet down in the basement. I want to get us there. Two things real quick. Jesus is talking out of a place of experience. This is God's great, great banquet, great feast. And he's invited his people And historically, God has given out promises and invitation to the Jews, the people of God, the descendants of Abraham, his people, his nation, invitations to be a part of his kingdom. And when it came time to eat, the people made excuses. They had other things to do. They no longer wanted that God. So God said, fine, you can have that. And then their hearts grew cold. Second is he's talking to the religious people of the day, the church, you and I. Jesus is bringing the kingdom to the Jews, but, it, but now it's widespread. It includes the Gentiles. That his message was going to the uninvited, the outcasts, the outsiders, and the marginalized. And the church people, they didn't like that. The religious people didn't like that. The Jews did not like that. They began to come up with excuses to, to not come now. They're no, they no longer interested in, and being with God, if, if those are the people that are, that are included too. And Jesus is saying, look, you're invited, but so are they. And the invitation is for everyone, and blessed are those who accept this invitation. In Revelation 19, it says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing water, and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Blessed are those who have responded to the invitation. The feast is being prepared, meat and wine. And I'm like, you had me at meat. And, and, but it gets, it gets greater in Isaiah 25, it says, On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheets that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. This is the good news. This is the message of hope. Jesus is coming as a comforter, and one day death will be over. But even now, his kingdom is breaking in. When you wipe away the tears from your kids' eyes, when you hold the hands of grieving friends, one day it'll all be over. The kingdom of God will be here in its fullest. And we get to be there. We get to eat meat and drink wine. But what is even greater is we get to invite others to join us. This is the good news. This is what it means to be an evangelical, right? The word evangelical has been hijacked, right? My whole life, it's become a political position based on one or two issues. Evangelical means to bring good news. The good news was that the invitation to follow God was and is for everyone. And if it's not good news for everyone, then it's not good news for anyone. The good news is there's going to be a banquet, a great banquet, and we're all invited. But for now... We have small glimpse of the kingdom breaking through. 
at our dinner table, here at, at, at our coffee tables, around our chairs. And that is the message of hope we need to tell people. I said I was going to be brief, and I meant it. I wanna, I'm going to go ahead and invite the band to join me on stage. Here's what I, what I want you to think about as we, as we kind of take a moment to worship again together and the band plays. When you hear this story about the banquet and who is invited, what's your response? What are you thinking? What are you feeling inside? Who in your life would represent the, maybe the insulted, the mocked, the suffering, those needing their tears wiped away, the marginalized? Who are the ones you've kept off the invite list or made excuses to come not uh, to, to not come now because you heard that they were invited too. Who do you need to invite to the banquet? You and I, we get to invite people. It's up to them to accept, but we don't get to take people off the invite list. It's not our party. It's not our table. Jesus invited everyone. We don't get to stand at the door and check IDs. And so we're going to be a church that welcomes everyone. We are going to admit our mess, that we have a need for Jesus, and then we're going to offer a message of hope. And if you really believe Jesus is coming back soon, like if you believe that part of the story, then you better start surrounding yourself with the least of these. Because it was the self-righteous that were left outside the house, right? The invitation is to come, join Join Jesus at the table. He says, be a part of my kingdom. It's a giant table. And the difference between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God is one is starving, trying to feed themselves. The other, they're full because they learn how to feed each other. And Jesus is inviting you and I to, today to, to follow him, to accept the invitation, to accept the invitation to follow him and extend that invitation to others. Not just for some, but for everyone. What the world needs now. If there's going to be this great reversal that we read about in Matthew's gospel, that Jesus says the first will be last, the last will be first. When the master shuts the door, some will be on the outside knocking, let us in. He says, I invited you, but you, you were too busy. You saw the guest list and decided... Not to come. Like the Pharisees, some will say, but Jesus, we hung out with you every Sunday. And then you came to our house for dinner. And Jesus says, I don't know who you are, or where you came from. But there are people coming from the east and from the west to be at this feast. And those who are last will now be first and the first will be last. And God flips the worldly order of things when he does that, let's make sure that you and I are on the underside. And we better align ourselves alongside the outcast and the outsider and the marginalized and the poor and the persecuted. And in doing so, people might talk about you. You might lose some of your religious friends. You might even have family members reject you. It'll be okay. The son of God was rejected by those same people for the same reasons. There are people in this community who need a church like this, a place where they can too come and worship God and be invited to eat at the table. 
If we don't offer that, who will? I'm not sure there's another place. I, I could be wrong, but I'm not aware of another place with a community that is as accepting to the stranger as you guys are. Keep that up. A true sign of genuine discipleship is our attitude to the poor and to the outcast, to the broken and to the outsider. And we'll be a place that welcomes the outsider like they were insiders. And then we're going to eat together. You can get mad and you can, you can reject the invitation. You can say, I'm not coming. I don't want to be part of that. Look who's there. I can't be there at that table. I can't be seen with those people. You can go weed your garden. You can go work at your shop. You can, you can kill the messenger if you want. But all of this, it starts for you and I to get there is a posture of surrender. And there's a part of this where you and I, we have to surrender this to God. And it's going to take commitment and effort and time and money. And it's going to take all of us. It's going to require the majority of us saying, hey, we're all in on this. Willing to surrender some of the things we've held on to, some of the rules that we've set for the outsiders. Surrender some of the things in our lives that are stealing and robbing our joy. Surrender being a gatekeeper. It's not a job description for anybody. Surrender trying to always feed ourselves instead of learning how to feed others. God, in the next few moments, speak to our hearts. Challenge us to surrender the parts that we've held for, that we've held our ground and said, no, it's got to be this way. Where we've rejected the invitation because we're too busy. We don't want to get our hands dirty. Our shiny shoes might get mud on them. God, break us. May we surround ourselves with the least of these. May we humbly approach it with grace because we get it the same way they do. By grace only. Nothing we've done. We haven't earned it. God, may we continue to be a community that loves others, that loves you. That when we fail and we get it wrong, we admit it. And we get right back up. We do our best to be who you've called us to be in this community. And it may not look pretty. It may be messy at times, but it's a beautiful mess. God, we want to surrender our hearts, surrender our will, surrender our motives, surrender our hearts to you this morning. Show us, speak to us, guide us. In your name we pray. Amen. Listen to the...